All right, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 3 this morning. And I will just be frank with you. This is not the message I had planned on preaching. And it's not the message, to be honest with you, that I would like to preach. This is the message I want to preach. Uh, this is the message I had ready. It's what we call in preaching terms a sugar stick. Uh, it's the kind of message most people like to hear. Um, but this is not a sugar stick. Um, this is a salt stick. And, and, and the reason for this message is something that's on my heart, heavy on my heart. Uh, I've watched the devil get a win. And you do understand that if the devil wins, it's always temporary. Okay? He's the God of this world, but uh, he's a usurper of the throne and he will be dethroned someday, and in the end, God wins, okay? Uh, the world may look at us sometimes and think that we're losers, but we are on the winning side, and we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. But um, this is heavy on my heart. I, I brought something along this line to staff this week, and I talked to the deacons last night, and, and last night, even when I got up this morning, I, I had no intention of bringing this to you, but um, the more I studied the other message, God just kept saying, this is what I want you to do. So this is what we're going to do this morning. Father, help us now. Um, Lord, as always, help me to do what I'm supposed to do, but in the end, get me out of the way. And so uh, we pray that the scriptures would come forth and uh, minister to each heart, and the Holy Spirit would do what only the Holy Spirit can do, and that is uh, work in our hearts uh, to whatever the need is. Father, we do pray as always, anybody here in this auditorium or looking in live stream or uh, by whatever platform, Lord, if, if they don't know Christ, may this be the day of days for them, Father. Help them to realize the answer to their sin problem is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, Father, for your people, uh, that we would take seriously uh, what the Bible says about the matters of sin and to walk uh, soberly and circumspectly in, in a very wicked world, Lord. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want to talk to you uh, this morning about crossing the line, crossing the line. Genesis chapter 3, a story in a chapter that we're all familiar with. Even if you weren't a believer, even if you didn't know much about the Bible, uh, you know something about Adam and Eve in the garden and the fall of man. The Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, notice he starts positive. Do you notice that? He starts with a yes, not with a no. And so he's, he's positive. He says, yea, and then he questions. Hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So he questions something that God said. Of course, he, he quotes God, but he, he really misquotes God, leaves a couple things out, turns a few things around. And uh, remember something, when, when the devil tempted Christ in Matthew chapter 4, he misquoted Scripture. When I say misquoted, even where he quoted it accurately, he misapplied it. And the Lord Jesus fought back by quoting Scripture correctly and not misapplying it and applying it correctly. 
Um, so verse two, uh, Eve takes the bait here. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the uh, fruit of the trees of the garden. That was true. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, uh, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it. That was true. Uh, neither shall ye touch it. I don't think that was the case. Now, I would say this, the better part of wisdom was not to get close enough to touch it. All right? If you got all these other trees you could eat off of, and God says, don't eat off of that one, you know, don't build a tree house next to it. And isn't that how man does so often? You know, it's, you got all of this here, and then it's, well, how come we can't, what's with that one? How come God said we can't? So, but, but notice then now she definitely misquotes God, lest ye die. Not ye shall surely die, but lest ye die. So there, it's, it's, it's a little murky now. It's a little gray. Yeah, I, I, I can't eat off of it. True. Shouldn't touch it. Probably not something the Lord said. Unless you want to just read between the lines and he said it and it's not in the narrative. And I, I wouldn't go there this morning. And then, you know, lest ye die. So there's, there's the murky side of things. And uh, look what the devil does. He seizes on that last statement. He senses the crack in the door. And he says, and the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. He quotes God correctly. God, God said, you'll surely die if you eat of that tree. And the devil just goes right up against it and denies it. And so now she's heard something that rings of truth because God was quoted, but God was denied here. And then in verse 5, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open. True. And ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. True. But what he didn't say is there are going to be consequences. There are consequences to that. In other words, Satan was saying in so many words, your innocency will be lost. You will no longer be simple. You will no longer be naive to these things. Which, by the way, there's a lot of things that we'd be better off being simple to and naive to. Paul said, I would have you wise concerning that which is good and simple concerning evil. Oh, we live in a very clever, clever generation now, a clever world. We're really clever to explore evil in its depths. And the Bible says we'd be better off simple to these things. So in verse 5, he says, for, he says uh, that, that you'll uh, uh, be as gods, knowing good and evil. In verse 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for uh, food, there's the lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, there's the lust of the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Uh, there is the pride of life. And by the way, there is, is a wisdom that is a pure wisdom that comes from God and his word. And, and there is a sensual and devilish wisdom, James tells us. And this is the, the wisdom that was being offered. This is the wisdom that was being offered. And uh, by the way, a lot of that sensual wisdom, that devilish wisdom, is again, knowing things that we really have no business delving into. Uh, we live in a generation, it, it used to be the, the gossipy people uh, were known by going through 
uh, the line at the check stand at the grocery store and, and buying those incredible pillars and paragons of truth like the National Enquirer. That always had some juicy gossip about somebody. You know, the, the, Prince, of, uh, uh, the Prince of Wales' wife is, you know, you know, ran off with an orangutan or something. Or, you know, the fly that swallowed Cleveland. Or just some bizarre, crazy, wacky stuff. But there was always gossip and, and did-you-know stuff. Now it's, it's everywhere with the Internet. Everybody's in everybody's business. And by the way, if you're on the Internet and social media, don't tell everybody everything about you. That's not smart. You're just setting yourself up for problems. People are, because first of all, you're not, you're not as interesting as you think. If you're doing that, telling everybody, you know, what you had for lunch and everything, and the whole world needs to know that, you're probably not nearly as interesting as you think. And, and some people are so unwise. I mean, there, there's a whole branch of the FBI. My, my brother-in-law retired from the FBI, and he, his specialty was fraud, major fraud uh, situations. And they got a whole bunch of guys that just spend the whole day on the computer uh, trolling in, on Facebook and, and other platforms for criminals bragging about what, what they did. Pictures, descriptions, and everything. I mean, you talk about unwise. You talk about stupid. But a tree that desired to be make one wise, verse 6, and she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave it also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now, there's all kinds of theories about Adam getting in on this thing, uh, but the one that seems to hold the most water here is, is when you look at the scriptures, Eve was deceived, and, and Adam was in the transgression, and Adam is the one who brought the human race down. He is what's often called the federal head of the human race, but the idea is that he made a decision to go with her, to die with her. He knew what was going to happen, and he participated so he was equally at fault, but uh, just came at it from a little different approach. And then look at verse 7. And the eyes of them both were uh, open, and they knew uh, that they were naked. Now, what has just happened? They have both crossed a line. They've crossed a line that God said, don't cross. And if you would have been there with Adam and Eve, they were the only ones around originally, you would have probably said there's no way they would cross that line with all that God has given him, then all that is perfect with their, their lives, their bodies, their environment, and, all the, and, and their fellowship with God. Who would have thought they would have crossed that line and ate of that tree? But they did. And this morning, folks, that's a warning to all of us. In crossing that line, every problem in human history commenced. Did you ever stop and think about that? Every problem in human history commenced after Adam and Eve crossed that line. And I guarantee you, if there would have been commentators and if there would have been others of us there at the time, we would have said, no way, they will cross that line. But they did. Let me get a little ahead of myself here this morning. Is there a line that you know you should not cross, that you are tempted to cross this morning? That's who I'm talking to this morning. 
Don't cross that line. Don't cross that line. You know God said don't cross that line. But the devil has been reasoning with you. The devil has been arguing with you. Your flesh has been bothering you and the, and the world goes along with the program. And perhaps today you're, you're way closer to crossing that line than you ever thought you would be. I want to talk to you this morning about don't cross that line. Don't cross that line. Verse 7, and the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked. Little babies, little children. They run, they run around naked up to a certain age. I believe it's before the age of accountability. Their conscience isn't awakened yet. I one time had a, my mom sent me to run down the street a block away. Uh, my brother is seven years younger than me, and I don't know how old he was, but I was seven years older. So I, I had to go and get him, and he had run off naked down the street, and he was at the park, and he had my mom's, you know, those little, it's not a vacuum, but those little push sweepers. And he was just sweeping the grass out there, buck naked in front of everybody. And I had to go get him, and he'd kill me if he knew I was saying this, but he lives a long ways off, so he'd, I'd have some prior warning if he was coming. Um, little children, they're naked. They were like little children. They were innocent, and all of a sudden, they realized they were naked, and they felt the shame of that, and they sewed fig leaves together and, and made themselves aprons. And I don't have time to digress into this, but that is symbolic of man-made religion trying to cover sin. Because God is going to give them animal skins. And, and it isn't the, you know, the preference of leather over fig leaves, but it's the idea that there was a blood sacrifice made. And there's no blood sacrifice made for their sins with these fig leaves. And uh, verse 8, and, and, and they... And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Now, folks, guaranteed up to this point, every time Adam and Eve heard God, they, they ran to him. It was a delight to them to fellowship with the Lord, who talked to them audibly. And in the song we sing, and he walks with me, and he talks with me. That's how it was with Adam and Eve. But now all of a sudden, because they have this bad conscience, now they're afraid of God. They're afraid of God. And, and they don't want to be around him. So, so they hide, and they run from the presence of the Lord. And folks, in many ways, this has not changed. Men and women run from the presence of God. The gospel's being presented to them. Free grace, salvation, a pardon for all sins. And what do most men do? They run. They run. That's what sin does to us. And in verse 9, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And it wasn't that God didn't know where Adam was. God God could know where Adam was. God was just giving Adam a chance to come to him. And in verse 10, and he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? 
Again, God knows the answer to that question. He sees the symptoms of the sin. And so he knows what's already happened. But he's, he's allowing Adam an opportunity to come clean. And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to, me, to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. What's Adam doing in verse 12? He's blaming Eve. I mean, that's, that's not the question that God asked. God asked, did you eat of that tree? And, and Adam decides to elaborate a little bit. And yeah, I did, but it was her fault. And nothing's changed since then, has it? People sin, and it's amazing how they rationalize it. It's amazing how they rationalize it. Um, I, I've never met a man that committed adultery outright that was unrepentant that didn't blame his wife for it. I, I, I've never met a woman that left her husband and didn't blame him for what she was doing. That's how it goes. That's how it goes. I've never seen a Christian backslide and get out of church and not blame all the quote-unquote hypocrites in the church. It's just how it goes. Now watch, this doesn't stop. Adam's not the only one that did this, verse 13. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. So Adam says it's her fault. She says it's his fault. Now, it's true that Eve gave to Adam, and it's true that the serpent beguiled her, but you know what, you know what both of them did? They both crossed a line. And folks, when you're tempted to cross a line you know you shouldn't cross, the devil will give you plenty of excuses to cross it. But in the end, you can't cross it. And I guarantee you there's someone who has more excuses for crossing that line than you do that hasn't crossed it. And we'll get to that in a little while because the Bible says there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But back to our narrative here. Verse 14, and the Lord God said unto the serpent. Now he doesn't ask the serpent anything. He's not made in the image of God. There isn't that relationship between uh, him the way, and, 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 and the serpent as there was with him and Adam and Eve. It's a different story here. So he just straight up says, because thou hast done this, verse 14, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Normal people don't like snakes. Because I've, I've said before, I've said before, nobody likes snakes. And then I'll have somebody come up to me after service. I like snakes. So let me just clarify a little bit. Normal people don't like snakes. Okay? If you like snakes, you've been messed with. <laughs> In some way, shape, or form, you've been messed with. But there's an aversion, and, and <clears throat> we'll, we'll see why. Here in just a second. And he says, and I will put, verse 15, enmity between thee and the woman. Women especially don't like snakes. 
And between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Verse 15, the bottom part of that verse, the back half of that verse, is talking about the promised seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we don't get, we don't get more than halfway through this whole drama, and God's already, God's already prescribing a solution to the problem. Don't we have a wonderful God? Let me tell you something as a preacher. When I have to preach about sin, I, I'm encouraged because I don't have to leave you uh, hanging off of a terrible cliff. God has always got a rescue. And he promises it right here. And, and I wish for the sake of time we could elaborate on that, but that's not where we're going here this morning. And uh, unto the woman, verse 16, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And ladies, up, up until this point, having babies was going to be a delight. And uh, it's, it's, I don't know anything about it. It's, it's difficult. I remember when I first was born, Katie, many years ago, it was just in that period of time where hospitals were transitioning from, you know, the dad just waited in the waiting room and paced back and forth and didn't know what was going on until the baby was born and they brought the baby out to letting the dads go into the delivery room. Now it's commonplace for the dads to be there. And uh, so we were in that period of time. And in order to do it, we had to go to these Lamaze classes. And we went, you know, three or four evenings, four weeks in a row, whatever it was. And you had to bring a little rug and, and she laid down on the rug and I was told to coach her how to breathe and all this stuff. And, so this, you know, this gave, my, gave me my little diploma, my little certificate to get into the delivery room. So there I am, and she's in hard labor now, and I'm all gowned up with the, uh, the doctor and the nurses and all that. And so at some certain point, I, I decided, hey, I got this little diploma, this little certificate, and I'm supposed to coach her. So I got in there and started coaching her. <laughs> Bad idea. Boy, she teed off on me. First thing she said, this is all your fault. <laughs> and she didn't want to hear me go breathe, you know, and one, two, three. And so I just got out of there, away from where she was laying, and back sort of in a, in a shadowy area of the room, and just prayed. That was my contribution after that, I prayed. But you know what, folks, uh, until this time, having children was going to be a walk in the park. And, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Yeah, do we go there? <laughs> you say, what was it before then? I don't know. But now, with sin, someone's got to be in charge. I didn't write it. It's just my job to preach it. And by the way, there's a right and wrong way to do it, guys. Ma'am, there's a right and wrong way to do it. Do it the right way. Verse 17, and unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree. I had a guy show me one time, he said, see, God cursed Adam for hearkening to the voice of his wife. That means you should never listen to your wife. <laughs> And believe me, he was a guy that should listen to his wife. He was about as smart as a coconut. 
God's not saying he shouldn't have listened to her. He's saying he shouldn't have listened to her about eating off that tree. Of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Okay, so it's going to be tough to make a living now. And you know what? When you really get down to it, the economy comes from the ground. Nothing's changed. They talk about a country. They talk about its natural what? Resources. Trees. Where do they come from? The ground. Gold. Where does it come from? The ground. Silver. Where does it come from? The ground. Coal. Where does it come from? The ground. Iron ore. Where does it come from? The ground. Uh, crops. Hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of acres. In the Midwest, in the breadbasket. In the fall, when they would plow up those fields in central and southern Illinois, and the sun would hit it just a certain way, you'd look across those fields as far as the eye could see, and it looked like, it looked like black, shiny, cold diamonds in the sun. Rich black earth. Are you ready for this? Eight feet down. Where I live in Cuna, there's places I go eight inches down and I hit lava rock. But that's not before I hit Caliche. Some of those places I look at, I got two inches. Where do you get, where's your economy come from? It comes from the ground. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. Notice in verse 18, thorns also and thistles shall I bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. So now all of a sudden, getting something to come out of the ground, and by the way, you don't have to do anything to get thorns and thistles. It's just, it's in the dirt. You have to work against those things. You've got to plant the right things. You have to constantly, constantly be, be acting against the curse. Prior to this, there was none of that. Uh, verse 19, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And that's the uh, worst part of the curse that's alluding to death. And the Bible says, and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. And, and I want you to imagine for a second the horror that Adam and Eve experienced as God killed those animals. And they saw death and they saw bleeding for the first time. Folks, the Bible says the wages of sin is there was no death up to that point. But they were given these coats of skins, verse 21. And the Bible says in verse 22, now here's another. I mean, this just goes on and on. And again, remember, it was from crossing a line. Crossing a line. Let me say to you this morning, whatever line you've been thinking about crossing, don't cross it. Don't cross it. What you're going to get out of it, what, what, whatever pleasure or satisfaction you think you're going to get from it, is going to be far outweighed by the consequences. And look at this. The, the consequences just keep going and going. In verse, in verse 22, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Now, what is God doing? God, I don't understand this, but apparently 
If Adam and Eve would have eaten of the tree of life after they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would have stayed in a state of dying forever. Sometimes we see people suffer. In the last years, months, weeks, or days of their life. And, and if they're believers, when they go home, we rejoice for them. Why? Because that suffering is over. If God hadn't have driven them out of the garden, it may have been that that suffering would have gone on forever. I don't know. But he drives them out. Look at verse 23. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And believe me, when God puts a cherubim and a flaming sword, that's something the bravest man in the world would never go near. Every incident in the Bible where a, a, a man faced off with an angel, the man just, the man just melted. And so now they're expulsed from the garden. They're expulsed from the garden. And, and all of this because of crossing a line. Crossing a line. You know, I think sometimes we think, well, we'll just cross the line and then we'll just get back over there real quick and nothing will happen. They crossed the line. Take your Bibles and go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, that's the that's the heroes of faith in chapter 11 that finished their race. They finished their race successfully. Uh, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Uh, folks, you can make it. You can make it without crossing the line. There, there are many in chapter 11 that did so. The Lord Jesus Christ did so. There are many around you today that haven't crossed that line and they're going on for God. There are encouragements, there are enticements to not cross that line. And notice what he alludes to. He talks about, he talks about a, a besetting sins, the sin which does so easily beset us. We're talking about a specific uh, type of besetting sin today. Broadly, we could talk about besetting sins and we wouldn't have time to, to talk about what we need to talk about, but a specific type of besetting sin, whatever that is, and it's a constant fight. It's a, it's a temptation that it keeps coming back. It's, it's just below the surface. It may be something that is haunting you from the old life, but the Lord tells us here, he said, let us lay aside every weight Runners don't run in cargo pants with their pockets filled with things. Uh, they, wear, they wear clothing, they wear uniform, if you will, that helps them run well, and they don't have extra weight on them. I, I can't even go into that today. There, there are things that are okay and legitimate that if, if we get obsessive about them can draw us away from the things that really count, and they become a weight. Uh, one missionary with that group that went to the Aka Indians years ago said, he said, we should not be so concerned about failing in life as we should be concerned as believers in succeeding in something that doesn't matter. That, that would be weight. 
But notice he, he references besetting sins. Uh, these are sins that we're prone to. These are sins we, sins we are prone to and sins we may lapse into. And we have to keep fighting because somewhere in all that is a line that when you cross it, dominoes start to fall just like we saw in Genesis chapter 3. It may be a constant fight. Notice we're told to run with patience the race that is set before us. You may have to fight this besetting sin the rest of your life. Okay? Then keep fighting. Don't give in. Don't give in. Keep fighting. And looking unto Jesus. Now here's our best example. The author and finisher of our faith. He finished the race. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Despising the shame and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, Christ didn't have inbred sin. We, we fight with that. But he had things environmentally he had to fight. Amen? He had all the hordes of hell against him. I guarantee you for those 33 and a half years he was on this earth... If, if you wanted to find the devil, all you had to do is go to Jesus and the devil wasn't far away. For consider him, verse 3, that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Look at verse 4. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Don't give in. Don't give in. Be willing rather to die than to cross that line. Be willing rather to die than to cross that line. Because you know what your flesh will tell you? I got to have that. And if you don't give it to me, I'll die. I think it's ironic that people that have problems with things like alcohol and drugs, that's what their flesh will tell them. I got to have that or I will die. And it's what's killing them. Do you see how deceitful sin is? You have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. Look, if you're a deeper life person, don't come up to me after the service and give me your little formula and, and, the, and the three biblical buttons to push and the four switches to flip and the incantation to recite. And then all of a sudden, temptation just goes away. I've read the books, I've been to the seminars, and I've watched a lot of those guys crash and burn. I'm not saying all the deeper life stuff is wrong. There's a lot of good stuff. Oswald Chambers stuff, I'd recommend it to anybody. But he wasn't saying, just come to our little seminar, flip these three biblical switches, push these two biblical buttons, say the magic incantation and all your temptation goes away. He never even suggested that. By the way, I, I, wish, I wish it was true. I would use it on myself. These specific besetting sins we're talking about this morning are sins of commission. There are sins of commission and sins of omission. Omission is things we neglect to do that we should, duties. But commission are things we do that we shouldn't. I want to talk to you mostly in broad terms, 50,000 feet on purpose, because I don't want to give you a complete list and then you go, oh, well, mine wasn't on that list, so I'm okay. By the way, that's what we do. 
That's the deceitfulness of sin. But maybe it's a moral line. Maybe it's a moral line. You just can't cross that moral line. You say, well, I have these urges. Can I be real blunt with you? I've dealt with men and tried to help men that have had same-sex attraction since they were little boys. There are some psychological reasons for that. Getting molested, distant dad, and all that other stuff. I've known some good Christian men that have fought that their whole lives and that are raising families. One of them is a pastor that shared that information with a congregation in the middle of a conference. It's just something he has to fight. You say, oh, he must be a terrible person. What's the temptation that you're fighting against? I'm just saying you can't cross the line. See, in our current culture, they'll say, oh, you know, somebody comes out of the closet. Oh, that's so wonderful. He's just being honest with himself. He's being true to himself. You see how that gets warped and twisted? Folks, I got things from the old life, and I... I'll be saved 50 years in August of 23 next year. I will be saved a half a century. And there's still things from the old life. And I normally don't think about them much, but they're just below the surface. You can't cross the line. It might be an ethical line. It might be a line concerning your responsibilities in life, uh, as they would say, holding up your piece of the sky. It might be a loyalty line. Adultery, among other things, is a breach of loyalty. Divorce. I want out. I'm tired of this. I deserve better. There's a self-life. Did you take some vows in an altar? Are you a liar? Didn't you say for better or for worse? Black couple was getting married one time and the preacher said to the woman, uh, for better or for worse, and she looked up and she goes, he ain't gonna get any better, so I takes him as he is. <laughs> Maybe it's a line at work somewhere. Maybe it's church. Maybe it's your country, Benedict Arnold is known in infamy for crossing a line against his own country. Maybe it's something financial. I'm going to keep it broad. Maybe it's none of these things, but you're tempted to cross a line. And the occasion of this message this morning is my heart is sick. A marriage is breaking up. A family is hurting. And a pastor is disqualified from the ministry. The good news is the good church keeps going on for God. I warned him. I said, brother, you can't cross the line. You can't cross the line. Can I say something to you this morning? Most of the times when people cross one of those lines into disaster or go off a spiritual or moral or ethical or whatever cliff, they don't just wake up one morning and decide to do it. 
There's a conditioning that goes on. With Eve, I don't know. The Bible doesn't disclose how long into the program this took place in in chapter 3. Was it days? Was it months? Was it years? We don't know, but there, there may have been a process where she kept looking at that tree and, and wondering and maybe discussing it with Adam in those terms. I don't know. Maybe the serpent had tempted her before. Someone once asked, what was she doing by that tree? If you find yourself heading toward a line, stop. Turn around. And with God's help, go back. Get as far from that line as you can. I love the brother. So I called him not too long ago. Just let him know I love him. First thing I said to him, how you doing, bro? He says, well, considering that I haven't driven into the oncoming traffic on the highway here, big city. He said, I guess I'm doing pretty good today. Folks, sin will always take you farther than you intended to stray. Sin will always keep you longer than you intended to stay. And sin will always cost you more than you intended to pay. How you doing? I must be doing okay. I didn't drive into the oncoming traffic. You know what that comes from? Crossing the line. So it was so hard to stay on this side of the line. It's a lot better than crossing it. It's a lot better than crossing it. You know, we live in a generation, and it's affected us as Christians. You know, we talk a lot about old school. Oh, you're old school. Like that's some sort of insult. When somebody calls me old school, I consider that a compliment. Because when you talk about character and you talk about old school, you talk about people that would suffer rather than do wrong. You're talking about, you're talking about people that did right and didn't need to be patted on the back and made a trophy kid. Nowadays, you blow your nose. Oh, good job. You blew your nose. <laughs> you know, you work at the local hamburger place flipping hamburgers, and, and you, come to work, uh, you come to work 10 days in a row, and you get to be employee of the month. When I worked at the hamburger place flipping burgers, if I came to work 10 days in a row, my reward was I got to work day 11. <laughs> That World War II generation, they, most of them, some of, these, some of these guys die and their family's cleaning out their stuff and they got a drawer full of medals that the family didn't even know that he had. You know what I find most of them? You, you ask them about the, the, the women and the family staying home and, and, and holding the ropes at home and, and, and being deprived and, and, and having to uh, ration things and and, and, and sacrifice for the war effort and the men that went and, and put themselves in harm's way for, for, for years in some cases and you ask them all about uh, the drama and the heroics and everything and you know how most of them talk about it? 
We were just doing our job. We were just doing, here's what I've, heard, I've read and heard more, more times than I can count. I just did what any man would do. That's how they looked at it. Fight. You know, a lot of times when we read in the Bible about suffering for Christ, we think of martyrdom and things like that. Striving against sin. Striving against sin. Let's be careful of a separation that we're content with that as long as we're 10 paces behind the world, if the world keeps going deeper and deeper into the abyss, we're okay as long as we're that different from them. As long as there's that margin between us and them. No, don't go that way. Because as they're going, they're going to take you across line after line after line. You say, well, it's so hard. The Bible says endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You know what we got to do? We got to toughen up. Oh, it's so hard. I'm unfulfilled. I got to have it. I got to have it. Toughen up. Say no to yourself. Say shut up to yourself. And fight another day against inbred corruption. Reckon yourself crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You're more than a conqueror through him that loves you. Don't be playing with sin because I'm telling you something this morning. Sin isn't playing with you. Lastly, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I really did want to bring you something else this morning. But my heart is heavy. My heart is heavy for the damage that's been done. And you know what? We ought to understand what Paul tells us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says in verse 11, Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. All these examples of, of Israel in the wilderness sinning against the Lord, idolatry, fornication, murmuring, uh, lusting after evil things. And, 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 and he says they're written for our admonition. Why? Because we could end up doing the same thing if we're not careful. And, and, and notice how he accentuates that in verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Brethren, beware of the depraved instinct that when you hear of somebody else falling, it sounds juicy to you. You grow a couple inches. Your chest goes out and you feel better about yourself because you're better than them. Or worse yet, I knew all along. That guy wasn't right. Yeah. The Pharisee and every one of us loves to look good at someone else's expense. And Paul is warning us on both sides of the equation. Don't, don't be self-satisfied and, and, and think yourself better than someone else who fell. You could fall too. But what he's also saying is watch out for crossing that line, period. Verse 13, there hath no temptation taken you. You know, I worked heavy construction years ago. I, 
I can do a lot of things in an atomic power plant, in a, in a, in a shipyard, and in a, 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 a petroleum uh, a, a tank farm and stuff like that. I was a pipe welder and, and, and plumber and pipe fitter, but I can't lay out a bathroom. I just didn't do anything. I, I didn't do anything uh, uh, domestic in that. It was all heavy, heavy construction. And you know what I was around a lot? I was around stuff where, you know, you had transformers and stuff that had tens and tens and hundreds of thousands of volts and amps. And they had... They had fences around it and warning signs. I worked in a chemical plant one time that, that had these ammonia spheres that were half as big as this auditorium, big white spheres. And, and they had 100% pure liquid ammonia in them. And boy, you cut a wide swath around those because if they had a leak, these sirens would start going up and one whiff of that would just destroy your lungs and kill you just like that. And you know what I notice in all these places? I'd work a job there for a few months or maybe a half a year and then go work somebody, uh, somewhere else. Our company would have work somewhere else. And I'd come back a year and a half later and they still had all those signs up. And they were still warning you. See, nobody decided at one point, you know, people, people have known for a long time that this is dangerous. Let's just take the signs down. Isn't that a little paranoid? Doesn't it? kind of create a little anxiety to have all this, this warning stuff up and, and, and pictures of people getting electrocuted and dying and stuff. Isn't that kind of negative? You know what you need to do in your life with your ammonia spheres and your transformer and your, and your little power plants that put out tens of thousands of volts and amps? You, you better put the signs back up where you can see them. If you've taken some of them down, you better, you better put the fences back up where they used to be if you've taken the fences down. Look at verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. The devil will, will isolate you and say, look, you're the only weirdo that fights against this. Man, are you a freak? No. Others have fought and won. You're the only one that fights again. You, you might as well just give in. You, you can't get the victory over this. Uh, it is common to man. But God is faithful. God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted. Watch it now. Above that ye are able. Above that ye are able. Sometimes you're pushed and pushed and pushed. And, and the devil will tempt you and say, you might as well give in. You know you can't beat this. Above that ye are able. Uh, when I got a chance some years ago to visit Brother Verhoof in Switzerland, preached a meeting uh, for him. He had, he had a leadership conference. And him and I got to ride bikes. And man, let me tell you what. The hills and mountains in Switzerland are just like you see in the pictures. They're steep. And him and I went riding. He had a 24-speed. I ended up on his 18-speed. That's, that's not the bike you want for going up hills. But it's all he had. And I remember we were going up this one hill. I mean, it, it seemed like just something out of a cartoon where this, this hill was almost straight up and then there was this little coffee shop on the top and that's where we were going for. And just pedaling and pedaling and pedaling and pedaling and the bike was almost standing still. And man, my heart was going wham, 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 wham. And I thought, my heart's gonna blow up. 
And then I just thought, okay, it's going to blow up. It's, it's just going to blow up. And you know what? It didn't. I could do more than I thought. I just had to keep pedaling. I, I, can't, I can't get it. I, I, I can't. I can't. You can. He will not suffer to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to what? Escape that you may be able to what? Bear it. Maybe it's a verse. Maybe it's a distraction. Maybe it's an encouragement for another brother, whatever it is. Maybe it's this message this morning. Maybe it's a reminder of Genesis 3. But you can bear it. And you know what it'll do? It'll make you stronger. You'll have better character. That's not the kind of preaching we like these days. We like the clever little stuff that tells us how to work a a raise out of the boss. Or if you're married, have a better sex life. And you think I'm kidding? You ought to belong to some of these uh, preaching websites that I belong to. That seems to be the two main subjects. Oh, by the way, when I was preaching against alcohol, we couldn't find any illustrations against alcohol. Because they're tipping. That's modern Christianity. You know what the old timers appreciated? A message that would help them build some character. Character. It might be tough, but I'll be stronger when it's over with. Those of you that have ever done bodybuilding or worked out or whatever, no pain, no gain, you get all that. I was in the gym one time, and I just go on the elliptical stuff. I don't do that free weight stuff. And, and uh, I was on, and some guy was making some awful noises back in the free weight section. And I stopped and went over there, and he had a guy on each end, and, and he was bench pressing. And, man, I, it looked like he had two semi-tires on each side of that bar. The bar was bending. He's making all these noises, and these guys are helping him more, more, more. And he just looked like he looked, he looked like he was having a baby. <laughs> Talking about labor pains. That's what he looked like. And I asked another guy to stand next to me. I said, what's he doing? They go, he said, he's muscle collapsing. And I said, that's what I've been doing. <laughs> I've been muscle collapsing. And I didn't even know it. I guess these guys, they just way past, you know, that, that's even safe. Because you get that thing up there and it comes down to your chest. That, that could get kind of exciting. But they get a guy on each side and they just go past. And what's that for? Well, then they, you know, they drink the, the nutritional shakes with all that gaggy looking stuff. It's awful. But they drink that and it puts protein in their, mu- and their muscles build up. You know what, folks? Fighting the good fight will make you stronger spiritually, morally, character-wise, mentally. We live in a nation full of mentally weak people. I'm not talking about mental illness. I'm not talking about something organic. I'm just talking about we've gotten soft. And we figure if we got to fight or we got to give something up, it's not good. So we, we fall into all kinds of horrible, unmentionable sin. Let's not be a product 
of our current culture. Let's, let's show the world what it's like to be more than conquerors through him that loved us. Look at the rest of this verse and we'll close. It will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Folks, that's God's promise. That's God's promise. Someone once said, the, the buoyancy of a, of a boat isn't about how much water it's in. It's about how many leaks it has. Folks, a, a, a boat that's sure and buoyant is, is, in, in no, is in no more danger in a large body of water than it is in a small body of water. Folks, we do live in a, in a culture where, where so much has been turned on its head. And, and things that were just unimaginable at one time. I, I mentioned to the guys last night, I was reading an article the other day where some kid about 16 years old uh, raped two 10-year-old little girls at one time. And, 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 the prosec- and the prosecutors and all that were making, being criticized because they tried him as a juvenile. I guess they could have tried him as an adult or a juvenile. So it ended up trying him as a juvenile. He was, he was convicted but as soon as the conviction came, he decided he was a girl. So they did the only thing that the state of California could do to be just, by way of liberal thinking. They put him in a juvenile home with a bunch of little girls to serve his sentence. Well, I bet she thought that was a terrible sentence. I mean, I read some of this stuff now. I don't even read the whole thing. I get to a point where it gets so crazy and twisted up, I can't even follow it. And I'm reading it, and I'm just going, yada, 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 yada. It doesn't make any sense. But you know what, folks? We can still walk with God. Enoch walked with God just before the flood. Trust me, folks. Things weren't all dandy in those days spiritually. But he walked with God. One more time with feeling. Whatever line it is, and maybe it's a, const, it's a temptation that regularly rears up its ugly head, then regularly hit it over the head and say no again. And apply the means that God has given you through prayer and his word and whatever else. And if you gotta keep fighting till the day you die, Someday you'll get to heaven and God will, God will put a crown of life on your head. And, and that's, that's the victor's crown for defeating temptation. Don't cross the line. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for admonishing me about not crossing the line. Help us, Father. Help us, Father, for we've taken some fences down and removed some warning signs put them back up and not to cross the line father and we pray these things in jesus name amen 399 399 399 all right let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 399 if god spoke to you this morning please come do business with god don't say hey when we get home i'll talk to the lord about it and i'll talk to the lord about it right now just just take care of it as we
as we sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Before we sing, before we sing the next verse. Can, can I encourage you to, to think a certain way here? Don't, don't think that if I go forward and pray, oh boy, everybody's going to know i got a really weird problem. No. We all have a really weird problem. Amen. It's called a sin nature. And, and if God spoke to you about something this morning, just come and get it taken care of. Don't wait till you get home. You'll get distracted. You'll get distracted. You come. If God's speaking to you this morning, you come. On the second verse. Amen. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go Sam Gip, would you come on up here and close us in a word of prayer? Father, it's good to be in church. It's good to hear what we heard. It's good to know that we'll come here, God. We'll get fed. We'll get admonished. We'll get directed. We'll get rebuked and chastised. We'll be encouraged, pointed in the right direction. God, that's what you put the church here for. We have all been edified. Maybe somebody here this morning doesn't think they've been edified. We have all been edified today, God. Thank you so much. You gave that message to our pastor so that he could then give it to us. God, if we can heed it, you will get glory, and we will be better for it. Help us all, Father, to, uh, to stay in this book, to not cross a line, and to glorify you in public and in private, Father. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.